The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. Welcome to the True Tone Lounge. I'm your host, Zach Childs. Today, our guest is Kirk Fletcher. Kirk Fletcher picked up the guitar around the age of eight, grew up in his, in his dad's church, and along with his, you know, playing with his brother, uh, grew into a fantastic blues guitarist, was picked up by Kim Wilson to, to play in the Fabulous Thunderbirds, has had a, a stint with Joe Bonamassa, is one of the great modern-day blues guitarists, and we're so happy to have him on the show. He also, his most recent album, is Hold On, a great collection of tunes that you need to check out however you listen to music. And we're so proud to have you on the show. So glad to be here, Zach. This is just one that I can check off of my list of things. I mean, I'm, you know, just honored to be here. And Thank to you. be amongst some of the greatest guitar players to ever live, to ever do it, so... Well, we're we're glad to have glad to have you on here. Yeah, you were earlier. You were talking about like the, the Reggie Young episode, and yes, oh. that, that one's a really special one. And and uh, you know that one uh, will always go down as as the you know the the great the great you know one that we've done. And you you've know. asked you asked every question that I wanted to know about too. You know, you spent time in every subject that I wanted to hear about. Yeah. You know, well, cool. So I appreciate. Well, now, it. <laughs> well, now you're up. Uh-oh. So, yeah. <laughs> how could how, how does that work? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm curious. Tell us about growing up in your your dad's church. Mm-hmm. So, tell us about you know what kind of church it was, what kind of music you played, and, and sure. what made you pick up the guitar. Yeah. Well, I picked up the guitar because of my older brother Walter Fletcher. Okay. And he uh, he was like by everything. You know, I mean, he started me out. Uh, Showed me what to look for in tone, picking, how to play more chords, to just even things just to think about, you know. So everything kind of got filtered through him, you know, my first records and everything, you know. I go to his house and listen to, because he is quite a bit older okay. than um, I am. I was at that time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like 17 years, he was 17 years older me so you know you can imagine I'm 43 so he was yeah. born in 1958 so all of that music you know like Hendrix and George Benson and gospel music and all the funk music and the R&B I mean yeah. I was just like a little sponge it's funny you know actually um me and Eric Gales was talking about that you know the same kind of thing his older brothers so yeah. the older brothers I always want to give credit to my older brother Walt, you know. So he's the guy that yeah. got me started in my father's church. Yeah. So what was the music like at your dad's church? Oh, it was really, really like uh, 
It was a it's it was a Pentecostal church, so okay. you know, crazy holy roller type, you know, yeah. just you know, speaking in tongues, jumping up and down, and you know, so that impact on me was great. You know, it was sort of like a free for all. You could do yeah. whatever you want to do within reason. Yeah. You could do whatever you want to do. So that's the way you know I came to music, like with this whole free type. Just, you know, the only thing you're challenged to do is just to try and make it soulful and make people feel what you're doing, yeah. you know, from an early age. So so what kind of guitar playing were you doing at this point? I mean, what kind of, you know, what, what, were, what were some of the songs like that you were, you know, kind of cutting your teeth on playing in church? Well, it's funny because, you know, I think about it, and I thought about this a while ago. You know, there's this song that was, like, called Love Lifted Me, and it's basically just blues Mm-hmm. But it's like major instead of minor. Yeah. You know, you got a thing like you play like instead of playing. You play, you know. You know, that kind of stuff. So when you hear that, that's you nice. Know, yeah. I mean, just simple stuff like that. And then, of course, at that age, it was before I really heard much quartet music. So that was just a continuation of my blues love affair. You know, was hearing yeah. like people like the Dixie Hummingbirds and the Soulsters and, you know, all of that kind of music. So it all kind of, I don't know why I gravitated towards that more bluesier feeling. I think, I don't know. So what were, what were some early albums that really, you know, kind of, you know, that you, you, you wore out? Oh, well, you know, on the gospel thing, it was like uh, this Mighty Clouds of Joy. Who, it's long out of print, I believe, but it was Mighty Cloud, the Mighty Clouds of Joy um, live in Montreux. Funny. Montreux. Yeah. I live in Switzerland now, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. yeah, it was live in Montreux, and they had a wonderful guitar player named Spanky Alfred, you know, who was like... Basically, a virtuoso guitar player playing quartet music. So you can imagine that combination of having this wonderful, you know, guitar player, and then also the bluesy quartet, you know, kind of thing. It was just mind blowing. So I would encourage anybody to dig for this record. And also, the best of the Dixie Hummingbirds was a really big one. Howard Carroll, guitar player with the Dixie Hummingbirds, and his his style was really like almost sort of like a big band approach, you know, really full chords, you know, like, I guess something like you would kind of hear in the style of, like, Sam Cooke live at the Copacabana or something, okay. you know, that real big chord kind of thing, and yeah. maybe like the low, what do you call that, like the playing on the lower notes, you know, just that real kind of almost Freddie Green, Freddie Green. Yeah. kind of style, you know. Yeah. So that was just major. And then also hearing like Jimi Hendrix, the greatest hits, smash hits, you know, or like Crash Landing, like the those weird records that you got at the flea market or whatever, right. you know. Yeah, weird collections. So, you know, yeah. you, you have a roundabout way to get into are you experience and all that stuff. And then also like Prince, you know, we're talking really early Kirk stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... So you're 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 playing in church. You're playing with your brother. You're oh, you're, yeah. le- you're learning there. How many services are you playing a week? Oh, we're playing like probably four or five services a week. <laughs> how, long, how long is each service? Uh, oh well, we would like take for instance Sunday. Sometimes would be like 
Sunday school, 930. Yeah. Regular service, 1130. A 3.30 service. And then sometimes night service at like 730 yeah. or maybe a little yeah. earlier on Sundays. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's like you're doing it for you, up until you're like in your 20s. I mean, that's. Yeah. It's very formative. Yeah, like, it really and, is. And so you were getting hours of hours of playing. In you know, front of people. And, yeah. And, and, and that's what makes it. I guess so. I yeah. mean, for what I like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> was there any type of you know discouragement from your parents as far as listening to blues or anything like that? Or you know, when you know, sometimes you know, it'll be like you know, you know, you can grow up in certain yeah. uh, Pentecostal oh, yeah. you know families where it's like you know, we, you know, you're going to listen to gospel music and mm-hmm. that's it, and everything else is you know, you need to burn it. Well, that's funny you brought that up because, you know, the one thing about my family, the reason why I heard about blues and all this music is because my family's from Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, the South, the country, you know. And um, so the blues, I mean, they told me they danced to like, you know, the blues and the Grand Ole Opry and things like that. They heard that you know, yeah. on the radio in real time. So they would tell me about Muddy Waters and um, T-Bone Walker or B.B. King or all of these people. They would tell me about these names. And for some crazy reason, me being a little kid, this, like, just appealed to me. I knew already at that age, it was like, I have to find out who these people are. Mm-hmm. Something about that music that moves me and it's so natural. I don't, I don't understand it. The older I get, the more I don't understand Having a daughter myself, you know, and that seeing her different age, you know, she's 22 now, seeing her at like 13, 14, it's no way. <laughs> it's like I'm trying to like think about her age now and think about me at 13, and I was like sold out for blues and quartet and gospel and funk music. Yeah. Strange. But I'm glad it happened that way because I've had a lot of fun listening yeah. and playing. Well, that's great. So you didn't have any discouragement from your, from your family about well, about, well. <laughs> playing out, playing gigs, and playing blues and stuff. Yeah, I did have yeah. you know the thing. Well, you can't serve two two masters. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I wasn't trying to hear that. You know, because like the way I look at it is, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, what are you saying? What are you feeling when you play? It doesn't matter if it's in a club or wherever. What do you feel? Are you happy? Are you making music? Are you making people feel good? It's the same thing as you're doing in church. So I think for me, you know, it was always, I took from church more of the spiritual part. You know, how can I be a good person? How can I move people with my music and leave the religion kind of, you know, that's strange. (laughs) Sometimes, you know. Yeah. So that that was, it was weird, but it just kind of, after a while, like after I started to get into my like late teens and things, and then my early 20s, I got a gig with Charlie Musselwhite. So it was like, they were like, okay, he's a guitar player. There's yeah. nothing going to change that. Yeah. So they just accepted it, and they knew that I wasn't really, you know, doing anything other than playing music. It was cool. Charlie Musselwhite, that's a great one. Oh, man, Charlie is great. You know, Robin played with him. Oh, I know. Yeah. (laughs) I was like my hero. Yeah. So what were the main ways that you were 
learning the guitar at this point? Was it was it mainly from listening to records? Where you know, was it from your brother? Where are you getting? You know, where are you picking up stuff from? <laughs> well, I was picking up stuff from records, cassettes, CDs, my yeah. brother, MTV, yeah. church, friends, hanging out at music stores, <laughs> yeah. anything. Like if it had a guitar, I was into it. It could have been anything from like CC Deville with Poison. To like Black Sabbath, to Jimi Hendrix, to like Albert Lee, to everything. And as, you know, and the older I get, the more I just go, you know what? That was right from the beginning. Yeah. It was cool. Either I like it or I don't care for it as much. But I will give it time to find out why I really don't like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's one of the things, you know, when, when we started kind of communicating. Oh, that was you, fun. <laughs> you, uh, you, uh, you texted me a question about uh, a steel guitar player that played, played with Loretta Lynn. Yeah. And, and so one of, the, one of the great things about, like, that conversation and watching, there's been this Ken Burns, you know, documentary oh, on yeah. country music mm-hmm. and interviewing Reggie Young and all yeah. these things. It's that their society has this narrative Oh, yeah. That that divides music by race, mm-hmm. and it's Absolutely. it's ugly. Yeah, and so and when you get down to it, you know when you hear Reggie Young, you know talk about chasing after BB King's bus in the fifties, when you Crazy. hear about um, you know stacks, you know black stacks artists that were listening to Roy Acuff on yeah. you know, on the Grand Ole Opry. And you and you understand that there's and and you watch the Ken Burns documentary mm-hmm. and you see how many country artists were heavily influenced mm-hmm. by you know by you know black Jimmy you know, musicians yeah like. yeah it's just you know uh, T Top that taught you know Hank Hank Williams mm-hmm. you know you know so it's this this great thing where and it shouldn't blow me away but still it blew me away and I was like I I love the fact that. <laughs> That you know, I knew that, you were find like, out. Yeah, that's the why. <laughs> yeah, and but yes, that that whole like it's you know Merle Haggard is blues. Oh, like, Merle Haggard is one of my yes. favorite artists. Period yeah. of just music artists. Merle Haggard is like yeah. he 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 touches me like Bobby Bland. It's like the yeah. it's like they are singing so real and so like. I mean, it doesn't get any more gangster than Merle Haggard. Come on. I, used, I mean, like, when they let me out of prison, you know, I mean, like, yeah. that's yeah. like rock music. Exactly. <laughs> you know? he, he really lived it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, because my mom told me that she would listen at, like, I guess some kind of way, maybe when she would go somewhere, she would get the Grand Ole Opry. And yeah. She would, like, hear soulful country music. I mean, mm-hmm. like, soulful. Yeah. Like, and it's like, at the end of the day, to me, that's what it's all about. How does it move you? Yeah. And for me, doing this record, Hold On, was one of the big things for me was, like, taking the country music and knowing, like, okay, they, they're taking this really s- simple subject matter, mm-hmm. you know, and they're expressing themselves, and it's like, they expressed himself. I know exactly what Johnny Paycheck is talking about when he says, you know, pardon me, I got somebody to kill. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I played that for all of my friends. They were like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, hey, and this is like the blues, like, you know, um, Pat Hare, you know, with Murder My Baby. It's like the same, that's like the same thing, yeah. you know? There, there's, yeah, there's all this. Not that such, I want to do that. Yeah, no, no, but there's just all this similarity yeah. that, that sometimes there's a, a seemingly a, a part of society that wants to keep, you know, keep people separated. 
Yeah, and, 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 and yeah, no reason for and, that. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's all this great music out there, and uh, yeah, we should we should enjoy it and and, and grow from it. Absolutely. So, you started playing with with Muscle White, mm-hmm. and uh, and how did that build up to uh, to getting you know noticed by Kim Wilson and playing with the T Birds? Well, I have to digress for a minute, sure, because I had this whole musical life before I started playing more blues type music. I I grew up playing in like school and playing in gospel bands and playing funk music and R and B and all that, like you know, three and four sets a night already before I got to that point. So I had already played for. I don't know, seven years of gigging, 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 you know. And, and this is this is all in the Los Angeles area? Yeah, mainly yeah. in the Los Angeles area. Yeah. Occasional trips here and there, but I was pretty young, so yeah. <laughs> my parents were like, no. But then, so I had that whole, like, R&B kind of gospel thing going on before, and then I went and done the Charlie Musselwhite, so I was already kind of a seasoned veteran by then. No, I'm just kidding. Well, no, bad. <laughs> but with the amount of... of you know, of time that you were spending, it it all comes down to you know being good at anything is you can't get past the work, the work that you have to put in, the hours that you Absolutely have to put in, right. and you were putting in those hours, you know, and that and that's what it's all about. It's all about you know playing with other people and playing you know hours every week. Yeah. If you're not getting that experience, you can't be good. You can't interact with the audience. You can't play well with others. There's that's what yeah. I like the most, playing with, you know, other musicians and drummers, even like drummers that had like weird time. It was like my job to try and do the best I could do to make it groove, you yeah. know, and not just try and rely, oh, that drummer is weird. So, you know, that's the reason why everything sounds bad. Well, I want to do my part to make it sound good. Right. Because you, know? you, you could cop out and just say, well, you know, this this is going to be terrible because the drum, you know, the drummer's no good. It's like, well... I'm going to do everything I can to make it, you know, better. Make it still have a groove. We to play it. music, exactly. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's why the, we do it. And that's the right. That's the that's the the positive attitude. Yeah. So you're you're playing all these gigs, and uh, you played with Muscle White, and then mm. keep keep you know taking us down your road. Well, actually, I played with Kim Wilson, the blues band first. Okay. And that was so much fun. Because Kim, you know, we had this other guitar player who shortly joined our, maybe at the same time, Troy Gagne from Boston area, you know, the kind of Boston area. And, you know, just having this this young group of guys all around the same age, you know, I can think of a million different guys. Like, it was like I finally felt that, like, like-minded kind of thing. Because when I was playing funk and R&B and all that, I really wanted to get back closer to the source. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing, you know, just to find guys that we could all, you know, compare notes and, like, talk about gear and old 50s amps and all that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, Kim Wilson first and then Charlie Musselwhite. And, um, but I had played with guys, you know, like Linwood Slim, Al Blake from the Hollywood Fats Band, Junior Watson, you know, took lessons from Junior Watson and wow. all those guys. And that was actually even after I had already met Robin Ford and was like kind of helping out with gear and being a fly on the wall to like learn about all of the, you know, so it was like all of this stuff before. Yeah. Okay, so tell us, about, you know, tell us about taking a lesson with Junior Watson. Oh, yeah. taking a lesson from Junior Watson was like, 
you know, he has this whole swing and this whole execution yes. thing, you know, about his playing. And the first, you know, really, it's like you have to just do your homework because he's going to give you so much information and so many records to listen to. And that's what the lesson really was because Junior wants to play like swing and jump and all of these obscure, beautiful like music like Bill Jennings and Tiny Grimes and all of these guys. And that's what he really loves and wants to mm-hmm. talk about. And I was like, Junior, um, what about the guys that play with Little Walter and Sonny Boy and, you know, Jimmy Rogers? And he's like, yeah. oh, yeah. You know, and he would show me that a little bit, but he would give me, just go buy this record and you'll be good, yeah. you know. So that was the real thing for me because I like to talk a lot, as you can probably yeah. tell, and find out about, Okay, so what's your view? What are you thinking about? You yeah. know, and stuff like that. So, so for those that might not be aware of him, uh, could you play a little bit of kind of a Junior Watson type guitar? Yeah, I would love to <laughs> attempt to do something. I mean, nobody's Junior Watson, but I'll try and do my best. Yeah, <laughs> here's the introduction to one of his songs um, he got from Guitar Slim called "Certainly All." Mm-hmm. It's like. I mean, that's sort of like his, you know. He would he would tend to play an, an arch top some or oh, yeah. and so to kind of imitate you know some of his sound you've kind of rolled off your tone mm-hmm. control a bunch to uh, to kind of give the, give that type of sound. What would be a, a good Junior Watson album to pick up if someone was like I want to get I want to learn more about Junior Watson? Well, I would definitely pick up you know I would pick up his long overdue record. Okay. You know, that he done for the Blacktop label in probably the early 90s or somewhere like that. And it's uh, it's amazing. And he's got guest artists on there like Janova Magnus and Brenda Barnes and Linwood Slim. And he's got the rhythm section of, uh, I believe, Larry the Mole Taylor and Richard Ennis are on some songs. And I think um, some other guys. I can't remember about that right now. Yeah. But it's really fantastic, and I mean, it's so, I mean, on some tracks he's using like a, a arch top with a floating dearmin' on it through mm-hmm. like a dearmin' amp. Yeah. Sounds like Willie Johnson from the whole Howlin' Wolf Memphis kind of thing, you know? And then yeah. he's got like Stratocaster through a reverb tank kind of stuff on there, and just, the list just goes on and on. And, and Junior was just such all the way around, just bringing me in, like, family and, you know, just the whole thing. I used to, like, shave my head and, like, have the beard just out of sheer, just, you know, being part of the, the you know, team. You know, and also Rusty's In, too, is another one that played with Kim Wilson. And he was amazing. He would play, like, this Gibson 330 and dress super cool and have a basement in the reverb tank. So you can imagine yeah. how that sound. Yeah, <laughs> There's this whole school of players that use, you know, reverb tanks. Oh, yeah. And it's not just for the reverb, it's it's for, you know, the kind of buffering or boost effect that you get off that. Whatever beautiful thing it does to the tone. I mean, in Hollywood Fats, I mean, Hollywood Fats is such a, 
big, profound influence on me. And that was a reverb tank basement in like a 345. So you can imagine it sounded like a spaceship taking off when you played. You know, you definitely want to check out the Hollywood Fats band Rock This House with my good friend Al Blake on it. Yeah. For that whole West Coast, later West Coast thing, you know. Amazing. So, uh, take, you know, keep keep taking us on on the road to the to the T-Birds. Well, I play I was playing with Charlie Musselwhite and having the time of my life. And, you know, I mean, ever since I was little, I wanted to be, you know, with Kim Wilson and the Fabulous Thunderbirds. I mean, along with Jimmy Vaughn, but unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. that didn't happen, you know. Not that Jimmy Vaughn needs another guitar player, but, you know. So I got the call from Kim, and I had to give my notice with Charlie, which was super difficult to do because, you know, Charlie Musselwhite's a legend. He's cool. He's a lot of fun, you know, but I had to try and go with this more, because I kind of want to be in kind of a band thing, you know, and yeah, the timing was just right for me to go and do that thing finally, you know. And, um, you know, I'll add to that, Kid Ramos was the guitar player too in the Fabulous Thunderbirds yeah. for a while, and he was another one of my heroes. So it's, you know, just yeah. this whole thing of being young and wanting to play with your heroes. Ken Wilson is in my opinion, one of the greatest singers ever, you know, yeah. and harmonica players. So anyway, that, I went from Charlie Musselwhite to joining the Fabulous Thunderbirds, and it was great. And we put out a record, painted on. It was great. And so there you are, you know, kind of in, in a succession of, of great players that have, that have been in that band, and, you know, of course. Yeah, Duke you know, Robillard and Kid Bangham, and, yeah, it was amazing. Were you in... Were you ever, you know, trying to imitate what what Jimmy had done, or where did you kind of feel the freedom to kind of do your own thing in that band? That's really funny you brought that up because at first, and you know, I was also in the band with my little brother um, Nick Kern. You know, so we were in the band. I joined the band, I think, for like four or five months, and then he joined the band too. So it was a dual guitar thing. And you know, at first I felt like I had to like definitely respect the music. I mean, cause that's a style and that's a thing and they were put on the map because of a certain thing, you know? So I did feel that. But then when Nick got in the band, he kind of covered that a little more and a little better than I did, you know? Cause I was still kind of coming out of the traditional blues thing and it was more of a strip rock and roll thing, which is amazing. <laughs> so, at first I did, but as time went on, I kind of changed a little bit. And then by the time I felt myself wanting to do more things outside of the band, like get feedback or, you know, have more of the influences of my good friend Mike Landau and mm -hmm. kind of things, I was hanging out with those guys, starting to hang out with them. So I felt maybe it's time for me to you know, leave the band instead of trying, you know, get feedback and use Univibes and stuff in the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so, I mean, it was just a natural progression. So tell us about some of this, uh, where you start, you know, you had mentioned earlier that Robin Ford, you were kind of helping him, like, carry his gear. Oh, yeah, that was like amazing. That. that was the best ever. He's my hero. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> so, 
So you 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 just kind of uh, befriended him, and you would and you'd show up and help him like unload his car or what? <laughs> Tell well, us about that. Well, you know, that. Zach, there's a story here. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, no, don't tell us that. We there's hate a story stories. here. Uh, <laughs> all right, is it nap time? <laughs> I know. I got to twist your arm. <laughs> okay. So, um, there's this music store called Music Works in um, Lawndale, California. It was in Redondo Beach or wherever. You know, my kind of area. And uh, Jim Foote was the guy, and he kind of brought me in. He's sort of like my second dad, you know. So I would hang out there, like, after I graduated from high school in 1994. The summer of 1994, I basically lived at Music Works. Not, you know, I didn't sleep there, but I lived there every day, like, seven days a week after church. Go to Music Works and just hang out and just be a fly on the wall. People would come through. I would find out about guitars and how he was going to think about fixing a problem, like gluing a bridge on an acoustic guitar. I just loved it so much, you know, and they would play music. And Ken Hitzman was another guy that worked there. You know, I'm sure like Glazier or wherever, you know, here. So basically, a guy, Jeff Rivera, was teching for Robin and doing everything for uh, Robin, you know, doing like stage manager and gear and everything, you know. So basically, he was just one of them, one part of the Music Works family. So uh, I was already into Robin, like Stone Cold, Larry, Robin, all that, you know. So he was like, oh, man, I need an extra set of hands to help me out with this gig at the Mint or somewhere in L.A., you know, back in the day. So he was like, yeah, you know, it was Robin Ford. <laughs> like, how did I just walk in this music store and this happened? You know, so I'm like pinching myself because this is exactly where I want to be. Yeah. Just as a person to observe, not even, oh, maybe I'll get the chance to play with Robin. No, that, I still don't think about that, you know, but... Yeah, so that's how I met, you know, Robin the first time. And I think he was doing like a a studio session um, for a tribute to the Beatles or something like that with the Yellow Jackets. So, you know, I get to meet members of the Yellow Jackets and Robin Ford on one day, you know, and I think the session was at Mad Hatter Studios. How do I remember all this? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's where I met the man. And it was amazing. And then over the course of the next few years, I, uh, you know, would go and help out when they would rehearse. So I got to see a world-class band rehearsing, recording, doing all this stuff, you know. So that was invaluable to the direction that I wanted to go. Yeah. Watching him run rehearsals. Oh, yeah. And and there was no rehearsal. I mean, he would go over songs like one or two times. I mean, you got Tom Breckline and Roscoe Beck. Yeah. They don't need to rehearse that much. Yeah, Those heavy, heavy players. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about Robin Ford and the Blue Line, too, is like I think it was a time in all of their career where they had already had played with you know, everybody. Robin with Miles and Joni Mitchell and Michael McDonald and Ricky Lee Jones' pop-pop record. Um, Roscoe Beck, you know, had produced records. You know, Jennifer Warrens and Tom Breckline had played with Chick Corea and Wayne Shorter and Al Demio and all these people. So they were coming together after all of this to form, you know, one of the greatest power trios of all time, in my humble opinion, you know. So I was very fortunate to um, 
be there. And I hold it very close to my heart even to this day, you know. So you, you kind of got, got to know Robin and you know, you're kind of yeah. watching him, you know, uh, you're lear- learning from him. And then also you've had, you know, association with Mike Landau. As an, oh, and yeah, the, Mike. Yeah. Well, Mike, I met Mike Landau, uh, Michael Landau. Um, <laughs> I met him during the time of the T-Birds, midway through when I was playing with the T-Birds. And I know this sounds, I've said this before, and I know it sounds really crazy. Okay, I'm going to tell you guys it sounds crazy. But actually, Alexander Dumble <laughs> brought Michael Landau and Sonny Landreth to one of my, Sonny Landreth to one of my shows when I was just starting out at this club in L.A. So, you know, I'm playing on the Tuesday night with some band, you know, and it's like, you know, I'm up there playing like, you know, I don't know. Whatever, you know. And then in walks the, you know, two of the greatest guitar players to ever do. (laughs) (laughs) Alexander Noble, too. Who, you know, became a friend, you know. So I was just in heaven, and immediately, you know, me and Mike hit it off. You know, and I mean, we were just two peas in the pot. We are two peas in the pot. And... You know, and I knew about all of this stuff because I'm an L.A. guy and I knew about Burning Water, Raging Honkies, and yeah. all the sessions, and I was an Uber fan. So that makes it even more special, kind of, yeah. you know? Yeah. And Sonny Landriff, I mean, what can you say? I mean, like, Outward Bound is one of my favorite records of all time. Yeah. You know, so I was, as you can imagine, in heaven. And I was nervous and I couldn't even play the guitar anymore at all. I was like... You know, <laughs> with Dumble, was he working on your amps or anything like that, or had no, you just befriended we him? We were just or? friends. I yeah. mean, everybody asked me that question. So you didn't get an overdrive special? No. And you know what? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because I have a Fender Super Reverb that I love dearly, and he even said at my gig, he was like, "Kurt, <laughs> wait, you know, this is it, kind of. You're yeah. a Super Reverb guy." And I think even if I played an overdrive special, it wouldn't be me. What do I need an overdrive special for when I got my sound right here? And it's fun, you know, and you can make it do whatever you want with your hands and the way you approach it, I feel. Yeah. That's a great, that's an important point. Yeah. I guess so. So, so you're at the end of the T-Birds, and you mm-hmm. decide, and you, you kind of make the difficult decision to uh, real difficult, yeah, you know, to leave to leave that band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should still be in the T-Birds, though, along with uh, my good buddy Johnny Moeller. <laughs> no, um, yeah, because it was just time. You know, I wanted to kind of do my own band yeah. and kind of just have fun and just play. I want to, you know, be more in charge of my own destiny. Yeah. You know, I want to, like, try and figure out how to sing, how to write songs, and, like, drink too much, probably, <laughs> and all of those <laughs> things, you know, that go, that go along with it. And it was just fun kind of hanging out with Mike and Travis Carlton at that time, yeah. still, you know, um, and just being part of this other scene of younger musicians that are just into music and better than I am, so it was kind of just taking the musicianship on a different level. I won't say a better level, but a different level. Yeah. Different things. So how are you learning about singing and songwriting and all those things? 
But I listen to Bobby Bland records, Dreamer, and like uh, uh, Bobby Womack and all that stuff. And just listening to it, just trying to take it in and trying to figure something out as well as listening to gospel music and stuff. And, you know, it kind of took a while because I was like out of the T-Birds for probably two or three years before I even started to sing, you know. And that's still an ongoing thing. But, you know, as you do it more, you start to get more and more comfortable. Right. You know, and it's just now it's at the point where it would be weird for me to just not sing something or just express myself in some kind of way singing, even though I might not be that good. It's like there are a lot of people that aren't that good. There's no reason not to do it. Well, it's it's your way of communicating. Yeah, it's like words are kind of like really cool, and all I've ever tried to do was be lyrical on the guitar. So it's just kind of like... Now you can do both. Yeah. Yeah. So you also kind of been associated with Joe Bonamassa at times. So you've, you've done some tours with him. Tell us about your Joe Bonamassa connection. Oh, Joe Bonamassa is another really magical night at Harvell's in Santa Monica, California. We have this mutual friend, Matt Kohler, who works for Gibson now, actually. Um, And, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we were two peas in the pod and like playing guitar and he was, you know, dealing vintage guitars and stuff. So I'd always hang out with him and go eat at Cha-Cha Chicken. so he goes, you know, I think Bonamassa's going to come down to your gig tonight. So I'm like, that would be ruling, you know, because I had met him briefly at the Pier Fest or something in Europe, and I just walked over to him, and he was like, I was like, hey, what's happening, man? Are you know, because you know we're around the same age. I'm like, I'm yeah. going to go meet this guy. Super cool. Joe was like super cool. So then. He came to my gig, I was playing, I had one guitar like I always do and one amp, you know, sounded good too. <laughs> Tone was happening, you know. So Is that your super reverb? Super reverb and like, I think I had like this memory man. Yeah. You know, just like, you know, real loud, you know. So I said, I didn't even ask him. I said, okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get Joe Bonamassa on stage, you know. He was like, okay, here we go. So he gets my guitar, goes on stage and plays, and burns the house down. I was like, yes, this is amazing, and it was magical. So then he gives me my guitar back, yeah. and I play some. I give it back to him, and he plays. So we go back and forth on the same guitar. Now that's magical. That's amazing. I mean, here I am trading my guitar back and forth with Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. And I think he had so much fun, and I know I had so much fun, that we've been good friends ever since then, you know. So I think that musical connection was the thing that made him really comfortable to say, hey, Kirk, can you help me out on this, uh, you know, these couple projects to play rhythm guitar? Because he knows I love rhythm guitar, and it's you know, my buddy, so it's just this thing where he could kind of take me out. I could get out of the van and on a bus for a little while and have catering. So, <laughs> and then go nice. to vintage guitar stores, you know. Yeah. So it was just like going on vacation. Yeah. I love that guy. Great. It's nice to go on vacation and, and you know. Play some blues. A, yeah, and there's a road manager making all the decisions. All you have to do is, you know, show up at the right time. Yeah. No decisions to make. It was amazing. Yeah. So... 
and then you've you've continued you know, your 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 solo career and yeah. uh, and you also you mentioned that you had uh, you know that you had moved to Switzerland. Yes, actually, I moved to Switzerland almost three years ago. I fell in love with this um, young lady who just swept me off my feet years ago, and then we lost contact for seven, eight years, and then we. Um, reconnected and it was just no stopping us after that yeah. you know and I just my daughter was going to college at that time you know so I was like oh, okay so if she's going to college somewhere closer to around here Europe I mean it's a little bit closer and I can be with the woman I love and you know see come visit my daughter well you know my daughter decided to go back to LA so I'm stuck every three or four months coming back to L.A. from Switzerland. But you know what? That's a small price to pay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's I mean, good, and it's good to reconnect with where, Oh, where yeah. From, and see anyway. all my friends. I, I, You know, I still want to see my friends, but Switzerland is great. They're both great. Everywhere is great. Yeah. Kind of. So, so uh, compare the, uh, you know, like, you know, because there, there's a, a very different attitude, you know, in Europe toward <laughs> mu- music and musicians. Yeah. Compared to clubs and, you know, listeners in the U.S. and not to be derogatory, but mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the difference between European clubs and listeners. And Well, know. I think there's an exception, and I think that is um, London, the U.K., yeah. because that's where the musicians are from, Bristol, are from that played on my record. And I, and I really feel that difference smaller and smaller there when I go to the U.K., because, I mean... Most of most of rock and roll, rock music was, you know, English people. You know, I mean, when you think about the guy that put it down, like Eric Clapton, I think he's one of the cats that laid the groundwork for. You know, I mean, who was the first person Jimi Hendrix wanted to see when he went over? I mean, it was Eric yeah. Clapton. You know, yeah, and and his career got launched not in the U.S. but by yeah in the U.K. So yeah. you know. Me being a traditional guy, you know, I'm not saying, like, they were the, you know, that was the beginning. I'm just saying that, you know, I mean, like, you got bands like Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, yeah. you know, all of those different bands. So, you know, they've definitely contributed a lot to the music. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I do see it there. And there are some other musicians in Europe, you know. But for me... I really like playing in Europe, but I also love playing in the States, too, because there's something, it's this connection of people really getting on a cultural level what you're putting down, (laughs) what you're doing, you know? So I need kind of both. I need all of it, really. Yeah. You know, you need that culture, and you need to play, like, say, I'm playing King Biscuit in a few days, you know, in Arkansas. Yeah. It's like, I can't wait to play for people. Hell in Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. You know? King Biscuit. Yeah, so, <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, I, I think yeah. it's all it's all good and it's how you, you know, view it. But, you know, a lot of people I know say, oh, you know, you're more respected in Europe and everything. But, you know, I feel that I've been um, fortunate and I love my American audience, too, because they have some fanatical music fans in America, too, yeah. such as yourself. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I really need that too. 
Yeah. I couldn't only play in Europe. You right. know, I need to come occasionally right. play in the, yeah. the States because it's fun. Yeah, and that wasn't to be derogatory toward no, American I, I, listeners. Yeah, but, yeah, no, there's, there's – I just noticed – you know, in in the time that I lived in Europe, that it, yeah. it seemed like because music was more expensive and such, especially yeah. when you were still buying physical records, it seemed yep. like the average European listener was more likely to also have read like all the liner notes. And yes, such. and now yeah. that part of it is true. Yeah, like when you go to a club in Europe, it's an event. Yeah. You know, most places it's not a sports bar. You're not going to have 37 TVs with the basketball game when yeah. you're trying to play a shuffle. Yeah, you know they're there. They paid their money and they want to see a show, and they're excited about it. And and that part of it, yes, is like way better. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, but you get that drunk guy with that beer in America though. That's into it, and that's amazing too. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Pros so, and cons. So the the latest album that you uh, you cut this in 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 England. Yeah, in Bristol. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, of course, you know, I love that you did you know something as a tribute to Cornell Dupree. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell tell us a bit about your love of, of Cornell Dupree. It would be hard to um, say when that started because he's sort of like a part of my DNA, kind of, you know, just from just the radio and just records from family members. And, yeah. you know, I mean, like, you think of Aretha Franklin and Donny Hathaway. And, I mean, he played on probably, you know, two or three of my top ten records of all time. Which, One guy. Yeah. I mean, like, when you think of... Uh, Oh, now I'm going to draw a blank because the lights are on in the cameras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Donny Hathaway live. Yeah. King Curtis live. Yes. You know, I mean, Memphis Soul Stew is like amazing. Aretha, you know, I can't even say which Aretha because it was different guitar players. But yeah, but the but the live the live at the film yeah live at the Fillmore is like and, yeah yeah and then you get to some like uh, her doing uh, Bobby Wom- Bobby Womack's uh, um, oh yeah I'm, I'm in love I'm is, in love one is, of my is him playing yeah. it yeah so. So there you go with like three or four right there, and I'm leaving out so many. Like Rainy Night in Georgia is, you know, one of the, and Esther Phillips, yeah, Esther Phillips from A Whisper to a Scream, I think it's called, is like classic, you know, Cornell Dupree, you know, but just that really warm like neck pickup sound, and you know, it's crazy because. I start to see a connection between, like, different guys. You know, like, even, like, say, for instance, like, Jesse Ed Davis. Yeah. You start to kind of hear, like, him playing on, like, Checking on My Baby or something like that off the first Taj Mahal Mahal record. Mm -hmm. You start to hear this neck pickup, kind of real milky kind of thing. And I start to kind of, I started to kind of search out, all the telly guys that had that milky thing. I mean, even like Steve Cropper on like Soothe yeah. Me or whatever. Who knows if it was on the neck, but it just kind of has that yeah. real kind of pretty R&B sound. And of course, Bobby Womack. He, he, yeah, he, he used the neck quite a bit. You know, yeah. Cropper did. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Jesse Ed Davis. Like, oh, man. Yeah, those are, <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it's the neck pickup. Yeah, so, it's just, yeah. I think from what I, you know, thought about or whatever. It's like 
in those days, maybe they didn't have like early 50s tellies. They had like maybe early 60s tellies. So I think that they would kind of maybe set their amps to play more for the neck because that was the warmer sound because mm-hmm. the bridge pickups were probably like ear splitting. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Some but, of them were, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so maybe they just set it up to get this really sweet sound on the neck pickup. I don't know. Yeah. Talking about about gear, tell us about this Telecaster that you have here. Well, this Telecaster is a new acquisition that I recently got from Norm Harris. Yeah. And I had to beg, borrow, and steal to get it, but it's a Refin 1956 uh, neck, so it has like kind of a V to it, you yes. know? Yeah, it has a nice V to it. Yeah. yeah. And then it's a 52 body with old pickups rewound by Ron Ellis. Yeah. Ron Ellis, I mean, he's always, like, the circles always comes back to, like, Ron Ellis, you know. Yeah, and, and, and I'll just give props to Ron. Is that Ron is the reason that, uh, you know, Kirk's, Kirk's on the show today. It's from, oh, from Ron. Uh, Ron's and best. Ron's a, a great guy and a, a fantastic, you know, pickup maker. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I also have another telly, a white telly, and I call that Sophia from the Golden Girls, you know, the yeah. mom on the Golden Girls, because yeah. me and my... Girlfriend would always look at the Golden Girl reruns uh-huh. while I play this white telly. <laughs> yeah. And that guitar is, like, amazing. And then I have a Rudders telly that I played on the record on Hold On okay. and Mulan telly. Yeah. So I've been and, playing a lot of yeah. tellies. And the, the Mulan has, has humbuckers on yeah, it. Thin yeah, thin line, yeah. two humbuckers in it, you know. And it's it's crazy for me, like, recording. You know, I'm really kind of a Strat guy. You know, but recording that Telecaster is just so present. Yeah, works so good. <laughs> well, show us some of the some of the sounds of this this guitar. You know, let us hear the the neck pickup and the both sure. and the bridge and stuff. So we can just hear the hear the uh, all the the sounds that it has just on its own. Sure. And so you, you know, this is the only guitar you have with you right now because yep. you, you're fly, flying around the states and yep. and uh, <laughs> and so then we we provided the amp. This is a you know an old deluxe reverb that Same has a vintage thirty in it. Yeah, so we're glad that we had something to uh, you know kind of fit the bill. And then uh, you know down you know underfoot. We just have a, a couple of uh, these are a couple boxes that you just uh, you know keep in a bag, and you you know throw on the floor. Yeah, well the thing is it's crazy because 
I just had a pedal board built by LA Sound Design. Mm -hmm. Those guys, I love those guys. Um, and it has some really cool things on it, like the Shinny Univibe and a Jan Ray, and it has the Jesse Davy um, silicone fuzz on there, right. and yeah. a, a whole a whole you know, a whole, shooting match a stuff. whole thing. Yeah. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Um, but I had to like fit a lot of merch in my um, Pelican case, and you know yeah. the way we have to fly and everything. Yeah, I uh, brought some of my favorite little. Couple, few of my <laughs> favorite little yeah, so devices. Tell us about this unmarked box on the end. The unmarked box is basically a collaboration between Ibanez and Vimuram. Okay. And it's basically Vimuram's version of a tube screamer. Okay. But it's got the beautiful, you know, workings that they do. You know, I mean, they're amazing. One of my favorite. So has that been on the whole time that you've been playing? Yep. Okay, so you've never turned that off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's usually what I do. I usually get everything, I'll get kind of a hot thing, going to get the amp turned up and get this. And I, I would really like to say, okay, everybody always asked about overdrives and like what overdrive do you use? And what I think there's more so than you know, like changing overdrive, something that works really well for me it's to usually I turn the level up pretty hot mm -hmm. and I'll turn the drive a little back and just get the overall pedal volume up loud and get the amp up loud and then pick softer. Hmm. So that's sort of like a bigger note bloom kind of than getting your pedal to be more gainy. You know, and trying to get the sustain and everything that way by picking harder or yeah. whatever. So when you do that, it seems like it doesn't matter as much. You know, in a way, you just have to find a pedal that works for you. But that's been, you know, my thing, and I get asked that question a lot about the overdrive. Yeah, yeah and then uh, what, what gauge strings do you use? Tens. Tens. And what kind of pick? I use a Fender Heavy or, you know. Yeah. And do you use the point or the rounded end or what? I use the rounded edge of it, uh, of the pick, but also the pointy end too sometimes. Like if I want to lay down something a little more funky or I'm only playing rhythm, sometimes I'll use the pointed edge too. And this has only been the last couple years. Yeah. Because, you know, I learned from Robin way back when, you know, to use the rounded edge. It gets a kind of a fatter tone. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a, a tuner, and uh, and you've got a, a Boss reverb pedal. Yeah. And, uh, and the reverb pedal, I mean, I use, like, a million different reverb pedals. You know, sometimes I'll use the Topanga. Sometimes I'll use whatever. You know, you might tell me about a new one that I should check out, you know. But this one just seems to work. And with Boss pedals, they just seem to turn on and work, you know. And then I'll have like a this smaller travel pedal board with the one spot, you know, yeah. wrapped around it, so I can just yeah. go on stage, unwrap it, plug it into wherever I am all around the world, yeah. and it works. <laughs> Thank so, you. you know, I'm like a, you know, Cadillac here, you know, Rolls Royce here now with this thing. Yeah, you, <laughs> <laughs> I almost don't know what to do. <laughs> so. You know, so th so this is kind of how you you know so normally you would uh, you know as you're touring in the states you're just mm -hmm. getting backline, 
Europe mm-hmm. or the States, I, I usually get like a Fender Hot Rod DeVille. Mm-hmm. And I'll use this because it seems like the more stuff that you add sometimes when you're playing backline, if the amp's tired or whatever like that, I'll just make it happen with this. Um, like, but now I'm going to use the pedal board when I go out on tours next year and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, but for just making bacon flying in, you know, just getting the job done, I just use some sort of overdrive pedal and it changes every once in a while or some sort of guitar, you know, I change a lot, Strat, Les Paul, 335, or Telly, any one of those four, Yeah, you know, because I don't know, I think I got that, that's another thing I got from Robin. Robin would play one or two guitars and make all the music in the world with those, you know, one or two guitars, and that's kind of how I grew up looking at it too, you know. Yeah. So if you want to rock out on the telly, just bring a telly and play that all night. That's if you right. want a strat, just play yeah. a strat all night. Because yeah, the more stuff you know, you 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 pull out, you know, the, then then you need a guitar tech, and right, <laughs> you know, and I'm just trying to get in tune, you yeah. know. Yeah. It's so uh, yeah. This is Kirk Fletcher, and this is my new CD, Kirk Fletcher Hold On. Well, actually, it's a year old, but you still should go out and buy it. I made this record with a lot of love, and it's my first record where I sang all of the songs except for one. I wrote all the songs with the help from some close friends, and I recorded it in Bristol. And it's just love. Everything about this record is love and good times. I hope to do more of this really soon. <laughs> so check it out if you haven't bought it already. Or stream it. I don't care. <laughs> so you have some upcoming dates. You're, uh, you're playing, of course, the, uh, the uh, King Biscuit thing. Yeah, in Helena, right, Arkansas. Uh, Helena, Arkansas. Then you've got some dates in, uh, in England. You've yes. got dates down in Australia. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's awesome. 
I'm so glad that you could be on the show. So oh, glad, you know, your, your, deep, you so your, your deep love of music and the guitar and your kindness is, is very apparent. And I really appreciate you uh, coming down here. And it was, it was just a thrill. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much, Zach. Yes. I appreciate it. All right. It's great. Mm-hmm.